Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is a podcast where we take a biblical look at the world in which we live and try to make sense of our existence through the lens of Scripture, which is the Word of God. This is our Friday interview edition where we interview thought leaders in the culture and in the Christian community. And today it is our privilege to be joined by Dr. Adam Greenway, the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And, and Dr. Greenway, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. Keith, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Now, for those of you who may be unfamiliar with Dr. Greenway and Southwestern, uh, Southwestern is one of the six world-class seminaries associated with the Southern Baptist Convention. It has graduated over 46,000 uh, graduates, sending them all over the world and to pastorates all over the United States as well. Uh, Southwestern was established in 1908 on the campus of Baylor University before moving to its present location today on Seminary Hill in Fort Worth, Texas. Dr. Greenway is the ninth president of the seminary, and he was installed in 2019 at the ripe old age of 41, being the youngest president in the history of that seminary. Always a teacher, even as president, Dr. Greenway serves as professor of evangelism and apologetics, as well as the president of the seminary. Before coming to Southwestern, Dr. Greenway was the dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, and Ministry at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Dr. Greenway is also a pastor, he as well as a theologian, and served for five years as a senior pastor and filled a number of interim roles while he was teaching at Southern, always supporting the local church. He received his Bachelor of Arts degree, cum laude, from Sanford University, and his Master's in Divinity from Southwestern. And he also received a Master of Nonprofit Administration, cum laude again, at the University of Notre Dame. And of course, he has an earned doctorate from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. Uh, Dr. Greenway has held national offices and state offices in the SBC, uh, ranging from the Chairman of the Board of Trustees of Lifeway, Christian Resources, and he's also the past president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And we're going to stop there because if I keep going on his resume, there'll be little time for this interview. Uh, he is a husband and a father. Uh, he has a wife and two beautiful children, and they live with him in the Fort Worth area. Again, Dr. Greenway, it is a pleasure. Welcome. Thank you for spending time with us today. Again, very grateful to be with you, and uh, that was a far more generous introduction than I deserve, but um, very thankful for what the Lord has, uh, has done, and certainly all the glory belongs to, uh, to him. Amen. Amen. Well, what we want to talk about today is theological education, seminary, as some would call it, particularly in the 21st century, and we'll let this conversation go wherever you'd like to take it. But let's maybe start on a personal note, and that is, how and why did you end up pursuing seminary education? Sure. As you mentioned in my bio, um, I'm a native of Central Florida, came to Christ at the age of eight through a kind of traditional uh, evangelistic uh, outreach, uh, really wasn't followed up upon, wasn't until I was um, 14, that I really began to understand what the Lord had done, was scripturally baptized at that time, and uh, began a process of discernment that led to uh, a clear conviction God was calling me into the, the ministry. And I think just in short form, um, part of my own study of scripture and mentors who spoke into my life made it clear that a call to ministry is a call to preparation. Um, and so theological education was never not an option, if I can say it that way, mm. uh, because I knew how much I didn't know. Uh, and so Part of it was just a sense that, humanly speaking, uh, I believe that the Lord had uh, called me to preach. He called me to ministry. 
And I needed to give myself as much as I could, uh, as far as the Lord would allow me to go, to be as uh, sharply prepared of a tool as I could be for wherever the Lord would want to use me. Now, I didn't know what all that would mean. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't think when I surrendered to preach at the age of 16, that at 41, I would become a seminary president. I, I didn't even have a category for anything like that. Uh, what I knew was the local church. What I knew was the pastoral ministry. And I, I just believed that's what I would do. That's what God would want me to do. And still, even as a seminary president, I'm a pastor at heart. Uh, the local church is still uh, headquarters, and that's still where uh, our energy and our efforts have to be um, directed. But I just believed that part of what it meant to uh, be obedient to God's call was uh, preparation. And it was really stressed upon me that um, you should take advantage of every opportunity to be equipped, to be educated, to be trained. Um, and, you know, there are always issues about, well, finance and location and what do those things mean? But I was basically uh, encouraged, and it's the same encouragement I give to others today, Keith, and that is always give God the benefit of the doubt. Err on the side of more preparation, not less. Mm-hmm. Err in taking perhaps the more difficult path, not the easier path. Uh, because the Lord uses that in ways to form you and to shape you that, um, that nothing else uh, you know, can. And while in the free church tradition, of which I'm a part of, and uh, there's no requirement for theological education to be ordained or to be called to a church or something like that, unlike other uh, traditions, um, it was just very deeply ingrained upon me that the call to ministry was a call to preparation. And I've tried to follow um, that leading uh, ever since. You know, it's interesting. Years ago, and uh, you know, we're both from the South. I heard somebody say, you know, seminary, son. Why do you want to go to seminary? Uh, Jesus's disciples didn't go to seminary. Why would you want to go? And I think you just hit the nail on the head that you want to be as prepared to serve God as you possibly can. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that really intersects or maybe collides with the culture today, given? all of the complexities today. Don't you think that seminary is even more important today than maybe it was 25 or 15 or 10 years ago, given all the things that students and, and graduates will face? Yes, I think the answer is, is, is exactly right, Keith. You know, I often say uh, in my current place of service, as the ninth president of Southwestern Seminary, um, there are issues and realities I have to deal with that none of my predecessors ever had to confront. Um, the founder of our seminary never had to worry about people talking about transgender bathrooms mm. uh, or worrying about who could get married uh, or some of the other almost just fundamental issues of, of, of human existence and reality. I mean, they, they had their debates and, and, and the issues that they dealt with, of course, but we're in a very different time where uh, even, you know, not just the pagan population, but even within the Christian community, there are folks who are Uh, raising questions and trying to redefine issues that would have been unthinkable a generation ago. And so I'm, I'm, you know, again, I I realize as a seminary president and somebody who uh, has three degrees in the area of theological study, you would expect me to say this. But even if I weren't in this position, my own view is the complexities we're going to be facing in ministry today are not getting easier. They're not lessening. They're getting more complex, more complicated. People are starting further away from God in our cultural context today than they did 10 or 20 years ago. And in many ways, I think it parallels, if you will, um, what's happening in in the secular realm. So you look at what's happening in terms of uh, trainings in uh, the medical field, in the legal profession, 
uh, even in secular education, uh, the kind of um, uh, training and credentialing and certification that is expected there, it's not minimizing, yeah. uh, it's increasing. Uh, the whole notion of continuing education and the requirements for that. Um, should we have any less expectation for uh, the individual entrusted with the sacred mysteries of God? And this, again, is an inadequate analogy, I realize, but I often joke because uh, as, a, as a doctor, I'm not the kind of doctor most people think of in terms of a white coat and uh, dispensing uh, medicine. But when I need the services of a competent medical professional, when I go into an office, I want to see a lot of board certifications. I want to see a lot of diplomas and degrees. I, I don't want to just find somebody who has a passing interest in practicing medicine uh, because the issues that that person will have to deal with uh, don't just affect some generic humanity out there. They affect me. It's, it's my body. It, it's, it's my health. And, and I want the best I can have. Well, if that's true for people who are physicians of the body, what should be our expectation for those who deal with matters of the soul? So again, I, I'm, I realize, and I've heard the same argument in terms of the, the issues related to, uh, you know, the disciples didn't go to seminary. Well, actually, they spent three years at the Jesus Theological Seminary. Um, and in some ways, uh, I'm sure that was part of the thinking of why the core degree program in North American theological education, the Master of Divinity degree, is a three-year program. Um, there's a sense in which the disciples got things from Jesus that really was the original seminary. It was uh, a community. It was uh, heavily invested, not just in theology and doctrine, but in praxis. They were sent out to do things. They were evaluated, and, and since they had field work, if you will. So I actually don't buy the disciples didn't go to seminary. They didn't go to a seminary like we think of, but frankly, I can't go to the Jesus Theological Seminary today in the same way they did. What we can do, however, is to try to provide a community of uh, pastors and scholars who are here together pouring their lives and pouring their hearts and their minds into the next generation of those who will serve the church. As you talk about that, you know, I think of the Puritans talking about uh, preachers, if you want to call that, being soul doctors. And I think you use that analogy. As we think about that, you know, uh, who should go to seminary, medical school, law school, they have very high standards for admission. Uh, they're not for everyone. Do you want to talk a little bit about who should go to seminary? Who, who is seminary for? Sure. Well, seminary, uh, it depends on the particular institution and that institution's mission. And so um, uh, I'll, I'll take, there, there's a more narrow view and a more broad view. So the more narrow view is uh, institutions that say, we only train men for the pastorate. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they're very clear. Uh, we, we, we value other callings and other works, but all we do is we train men for the pastorate. Okay. So that's probably the most narrow view of seminary. And again, I'm not speaking for or against of those institutions. Every institution needs to follow its own sense of conviction and calling and leading. But the most narrow view is we train men for ministry, past, pastoral ministry, excuse me. And usually uh, there will be a strong tie to one particular local church uh, in those contexts. And, and, you know, I'm not going to name institutions, but you can Google search and find uh, representative examples of that. The more broad view, and this really is the more um, uh, fitting view for what Southwestern Seminary and the Southern Baptist Convention Seminaries uh, are, is um, uh, we equip God-called men and women uh, for Christian ministry. And so that's a much broader view because the way that God calls people is not just men to um, pastoral ministry, but missionaries, people who will serve in 
um, Christian school settings, people who will serve in a variety of uh, church ministry and uh, leadership roles, people who will be involved in parachurch uh, work uh, and the like. There is a primacy in terms of we, we certainly all affirm that the pastorate is uh, the core of everything that we do. And uh, we believe with our uh, convictional stance that that is a uh, position reserved for scripturally qualified men, but that we do believe God calls women into ministry. And there are a variety of roles where women um, can and should serve. Mm -hmm. And we want to provide the most holistic and comprehensive training um, in biblical studies and theology and uh, historical uh, matters, but also in leadership, counseling, evangelism, missions, discipleship, worship, and a variety of other issues. Some of that, Keith, comes down to economies of scale. Um, the average accredited seminary in North America only has 270 students. And so, you know, there are things you can't do when you have a smaller student body because you have smaller resources, you have a smaller number of faculty. In our spring commencement uh, in May of uh, this year, we graduated nearly 300 students. And so we graduated more students here than the average accredited seminary has in total enrollment. It's a blessing. And I'm not bragging. I'm just simply saying we're able to do more things here in terms of specializations and uh, degree programs and offerings uh, that other institutions just can't do. So sometimes, and, and there's there's mission, different uh, seminaries have a different sense of calling and, and mission. Um, our view is we're like a theological university. Uh, we want to provide the, the most comprehensive uh, range of training for God-called men and women in the diversity of ways that uh, he deploys people into his kingdom service. Right. Let's talk a little bit about because uh, about some of the things you just touched on in terms of delivery systems. Going back to the dark ages, I relocated my family from the East Coast, from Asheville, North Carolina, to uh, Los Angeles, California to go to seminary. And I had to leave my career. I had two small children. I had to find a job. I, uh, and then you're in graduate school. And I felt like the wrath of God had descended down upon me, reading 8,000 pages a semester and learning two languages and this, that, and the other. Today, people, A, are less willing to do that, and B, uh, some are uh, just unable to do that. Do you want to talk a moment about options or delivery systems? Sure. Uh, in many ways, um, the 21st century has become the golden age for theological education. And by that, I mean, uh, thanks to the uh, technological revolution of the Internet, uh, people are able to access theological education today in ways that would have been unthinkable a generation ago. There's both a blessing and a, and a burden to that. And the blessing is, again, uh, even as we're here able to have this conversation uh, via Zoom right now, even though we are separated by great distance, there's a way to uh, make theological education available and accessible to anyone anywhere who has an internet connection around the world. That, that, that's a privilege that would have been uh, un unthinkable uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And having just come through the global pandemic of COVID-19, where most seminaries, at least in North America, had to stop having in-person instruction and to uh, shut down, we, we were still able to keep going uh, because we were able to go from being a, uh, an institution that is both on campus and online to an entirely online institution in a fairly rapid and seamless transition. Um, had we not had the online uh, education uh, portal, uh, we would have been in a very difficult position to finish out uh, the spring semester last year and to be able to continue our, uh, our work. So the, uh, the universality of availability, the um, way in which people, in a sense, can pursue theological education in their own 
uh, pace and rhythm of life. Uh, they don't have to just come to a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday class, eight to nine a.m. They can do it when they get off work. They can do it on a break or uh, that kind of thing. They don't have to just try to write feverishly in that uh, Hebrew lecture. They can watch that uh, Hebrew uh, lecture over and over again until they get uh, the particular uh, nuances of grammar, all right? So there, there are blessings to that. The downside to that, in my view, is uh, you can lose something in terms of the sense of community and formation. Like you, when, when I came to Southwestern Seminary in 1999 as an entering MDiv student, I had packed up um, from my uh, undergraduate alma mater, Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama, drove hundreds of miles uh, west, came out here, really didn't know anybody, um, you know, but just knew God had called me here. And in a sense, over time, met a lot of people like me who were uh, fellow uh, strugglers, uh, poor, uh, didn't have any connections, uh, knew God had called them, didn't know what all that meant, but just knew that God had brought us to Southwestern Seminary and this is where we needed to be. And lifelong friendships and relationships were forged that way. There were experiences that I had of seeing the Lord provide uh, that I never would have had uh, happen uh, otherwise. And I, I think sometimes today the tendency can be that, you know, how can I leave this comfortable life that I have wherever I may be and pack up and relocate to, to seminary? Again, my view is um, there are, are things that you will not get um, if you're not physically present. It's the difference between, if you will, online church and gathering together as the, the community. And I, I don't want to stretch these metaphors too far, but, you know, uh, there is a sense in which uh, we're still not at the point, I think, where most people would want to have major surgery done by a person who had only gone to an online medical school. Um, I think in a similar way, we need to think about um, there are elements of um, theological education that are not merely the transmission of knowledge, but the transformation of life that I think does happen in a more pronounced way when you're in a community uh, uh, together and in a sense where you have counted the cost of what it means to follow uh, Christ in obedience. But again, it's, it, you know, not everybody can. And so, you know, uh, I, I, we're never going back, I don't think, to a time where everybody's on campus. I, I think we're always going to be moving forward, not just uh, a brick and mortar enterprise, but a click and mortar enterprise. Mm -hmm. that, that's just how the landscape is. And so we have to try to always make the argument for why, obviously, yes, online education is, is great and we believe in it. We certainly believe here ours is better than anybody else's, but it's still not the same thing any more than you and I having this conversation over Zoom is the same thing as you and I sitting down over a cup of coffee together face to face and talking about whatever it may, uh, may be. Yeah, you know, I think of uh, my times in seminary, like you talked about, in community or just walking up to a professor after a class and asking him a question. I and I love your analogy about the worship service because, you know, the Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There is, the worship service is a supernatural event that cannot be fully experienced or caught online or listening to an MP3 or whatever. And I think, I think something's lost. I am old school that way. I, uh, you know, I think that there is, there is an advantage. Not everybody can avail themselves to it, but I, I do think it's important. And I think too, at least for me, sometimes when I talk to people, when they're watching a worship service online, they sometimes do other things. And I don't think you'd want to do that in a seminary environment. Uh, 
uh, watching it online to the extent that you are doing other chores or other things and, and can become distracted as sinful fallen human beings can. You know, here's the uh, here's another question I have for you, and I've been asked. Uh, you know, some some institutions allow for someone to pursue a seminary education without a bachelor's degree, whether they're coming from a, uh, an international environment or whatever it is. How does that work at Southwestern Baptist Seminary? We do have an undergraduate. Um, college option embedded at, at the seminary. Um, right. And so it works two ways. For, for typical undergraduates, that would be people who would be younger in age. We do have the uh, undergraduate programs, both associate and bachelor's degree programs we offer uh, here. For older learners, that is people who would be more advanced in age, um, there are provisions with our accrediting agencies to be able to allow them, at least a certain percentage of them, to be able to move directly into the seminary uh, and, and graduate degree programs. Um, so again, in, in our uh, world, um, we're kind of a full service uh, provider in that we offer everything from the associate degree all the way to the terminal degree uh, here. And the way we're structured, we have an undergraduate college, we have four graduate schools. Uh, the four graduate schools really kind of cover the locus of theology. We have a school of theology a school of educational ministries, a school of church music and worship, and a school of evangelism and missions. And, and they're meant to be complementary, not uh, competitive, if you will. But part of that's just because, again, the way in God's economy, um, I knew at the age of 16, God had called me to ministry. Others don't sense that until they're 50. Uh, and they're, they're very much second career. And, you know, or maybe they were running from a call and finally decided to uh, yield to, um, uh, to that. What we have to do, and this is, again, I, I think an intentional disposition on our part, is to be ready to come right alongside you wherever you may find yourself in following God's calling and in obedience to his will. And whether you're 16 or 60, uh, we want Southwestern Seminary to be um, a viable option for you to get the education you need to serve the Lord wherever he may deploy you. I always hear the question, well, it's a, it's a Southern Baptist seminary, you know, why? So they're, they're going to ask the question, well, what if I'm not a Southern Baptist? What if I'm not a Baptist? Uh, what does Southwestern seminary mean for me? Uh, so what do you say to that when people are worried about the denominational affiliation who may not be a Southern Baptist? Well, what I would say is uh, on, on uh, a couple of different levels. One is obviously uh, we are a Baptist seminary. We're a Southern Baptist seminary, and we don't hide that or apologize for that. Um, uh, we are the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and all five words in our legal and corporate name have uh, meaning. Mm -hmm. And um, we are unapologetically a confessional seminary. Uh, the Baptist faith and message is our uh, confessional statement. Every professor who teaches here signs uh, in written form that uh, confessional document and pledges to teach in accordance with and not contrary to all that's contained uh, therein without any hesitation or mental reservation. So we're a pre-committed institution. And yet I would say beyond that, we are uh, certainly not merely a Southern Baptist institution. We are an evangelical seminary. Uh, we stand in um, solidarity with the great evangelical truth, truths of the faith that have been confessed by faithful believers down through the tunnel of, uh, of time. And I think um, if you look at uh, what the Baptist faith and message confesses, you're going to find a faithful distillation of uh, historic orthodoxy when it comes to the nature of God, the person and work of Christ, Trinitarianism, Scripture, the church, the ordinances, all of these, uh, these issues. 
And there is not a, uh, uh, a required uh, doctrinal statement affirmation to be a student here, if I can put it that way. So you don't have to be a Baptist to be admitted to, as a student to Southwestern Seminary. In fact, we have students who come from a variety of broader uh, evangelical traditions. You do have to give a testimony to uh, a conversion experience and a call to ministry to be admitted to the seminary. You would expect that. Mm -hmm. But we've trained uh, people who will go out and serve in a variety of uh, evangelical uh, denominations and, um, and, and movements. That's important to us. Um, particularly once you get outside of the North American context, we are a global seminary. Uh, we have students in 70 different countries around the world uh, studying with, uh, with us. And in the history of at least our uh, denomination, more people have been trained for international mission service at Southwestern Seminary than any other seminary in the Southern Baptist Convention's history. Um, and so we've had a, a global reach uh, and have a very strong representation of students from Latin America, from Asia, other places by design. And I think also, Keith, you know, in addition to the Baptist Faith and Message, uh, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, the Danvers Statement on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and the Nashville Statement on um, Sexuality and Gender also frame kind of the confessional character of the seminary. Again, we believe that it is important to stand for that which is true and that which is right. And so while we certainly uh, want our students to be aware of a variety of ideologies and philosophies and belief systems and, and such. Uh, we are committed to historic Christian orthodoxy and to Baptist distinctives, not in a way because uh, we are trying to exclude uh, individuals from coming to study with us, but so that people will know uh, this is who we are. This is where we stand. We think that's a way of, um, uh, of our faith and our uh, mission being being fulfilled. And I found in talking with people uh, from other uh, traditions, they appreciate uh, the clarity uh, and they appreciate the convictional posture. And in many cases, uh, I think having students who come here from a, a different uh, traditional perspective actually provides a very uh, healthy environment for classroom dialogue and, uh, and, and discussion. I think that's uh, a way that uh, builds bridges of understanding, even though, again, we're no less committed to uh, the convictions that we hold and that hold us. One last question, uh, Dr. Greenway, and it might not be fair given that our time constraints, and I want to respect your time, but today as a seminary president, what is the greatest challenge facing institutions like yours in the 21st century? What is What are the great challenges institutions face? Well, there are several. I mean, one is um, we're not an open enrollment institution. And by that, I mean, we just can't admit anybody. <laughs> yeah. So we're not like State University X that theoretically could enroll anybody for almost anything. You can't come here without, particularly on the seminary side, a clear testimony of a call to ministry on top of the conversion experience. Okay, well, that 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 narrows this uh, the, the, the gene pool down pretty, uh, pretty significantly. And um, at that point, uh, we're seeing, frankly, fewer individuals, at least in terms of my perception, who are being called to ministry out of the churches. We don't have the opportunity to just go out and um, recruit, if you will, in a traditional sense, because we have to depend upon those who are sent to us by the churches, from the churches, which means the role of the pastor and um, preaching and in calling out the called is so critical to what, what we do. 
And there are just a number of things methodologically that have um, hindered that. Uh, some of it's just 25 years ago, 30 years ago, many churches had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night services. Uh, they had more intensive times of discipleship and uh, calling out the, the called, if you will, particularly on Sunday nights. Uh, they would bring in, you know, guest speakers, missionaries and others. Uh, and there was just more of a culture for that. Now, where many churches, Sunday night is almost uh, dead or gone. Most places, Wednesday nights on life support. Sunday morning is about it. You you just don't hear the same kind of exhortations and encouragements about the call to ministry and being sensitive to God's calling. And I think you know the 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 role of the pastor in that is absolutely critical. And you know you throw on top of that again uh, the questions about. What is the post-COVID church going to look like? Uh, what is the post-COVID uh, educational landscape going to look like? There's still a lot of unknowns uh, as we're coming out of the global pandemic. I'm very encouraged about what I see happening here in terms of our application numbers for the fall and you know people who are ready to get back on campus. We're going to be uh, resuming normal operations this August with the new academic uh, and fiscal uh, year. But uh, there's still a lot of unknowns in terms of what's like going to look like. Um, for those of us who are blessed with campuses, um, there are always issues of deferred maintenance and operation and other things that have to be uh, kept up. And then just the broader cultural challenges. So again, you look at what's happening with the Equality Act uh, in the nation's capital um, for institutions that um, rely upon federal uh, student aid, Title IV funds for their model they're going to be very much in the crosshairs. Um, and that is, frankly, the majority of theological seminaries today. Southwestern Seminary has never participated in Title IV funds, prayerfully never will, at least as long as I'm president here. But many institutions do. And so there, there are those issues and complications with the governmental entanglements. Uh, and then there are always the moves about threatening the tax-exempt status and other issues. But again, we're not, nobody would have thought about that 50 years ago. No. Uh, it, it just, it, there was just... We were seen, churches were seen as a common good uh, and as a, a, uh, a way that uh, benefited the culture. Now, in many cases, we're seen, uh, particularly by the uh, prevailing uh, winds of the day, uh, as a, uh, a burden, a non-taxpaying church or institution. Mm -hmm. I, we don't know. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not a pessimist. Uh, I, I, I have a firm conviction as to God's sovereignty and, and the work of uh uh, of our Lord, even in the midst of um, challenging times. It's the, frankly, it's, it's the greatest time to be alive, honestly, to get to do this. Um, we have opportunities and resources and ways to help see the next generation um, trained and equipped and deployed. I, I can't imagine wanting to do anything else anywhere else. Even with the challenges that we face, the opportunity is still so, uh, so great. Well, I tell you, you know, it, God has raised us all up for such a time as this. And I think that's true. Thank you for, for spending time with us today. If you'd like to take a moment for what we call a shameless plug, uh, this would be the time. But I think you've done a fabulous job of informing us about the advantages and, 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 the, and the great mission of our Southwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. But anything else you'd like to say to us today, Dr. Greenway? Thank you for having me um, and uh, for your uh, listeners, uh, anybody who would like to learn more about Southwestern Seminary, I would encourage them to go online to swbts.edu, swibits.edu, and you'll find uh, a variety of resources there on our uh, website. 
And um, we would love to have the chance to uh, help you uh, as you consider God's calling upon your life and how theological education, particularly Southwestern Seminary, can come alongside you and help you be able to live your calling. Well, thank you again, Dr. Greenway. It's been a pleasure having you and God bless you and God keep you. Thank you for having me, Keith. Blessings to you. Well, that's it for today. Uh, Thanks for listening. We are so grateful to have had Dr. Adam Greenway with us today. There will be additional resources and links on our podcast resource page, which you can find at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. If you have questions for me, you can email me at keith at hillside.org. We try to answer those emails within 24 hours if we can. If you'd like to hear more about Hillside Church, you can come to our website at www.hillside.org and forward slash services if you'd like to worship with us online. Now, of course, we we are worshiping in person as well at 8 o'clock, 9.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Thanks for listening to us today. God bless you and God keep you.